It's rugby, not real estate, which runs through Chris Malone's veins. The former professional player and high-performance coach is now gracing the halls of Ray White headquarters in Sydney's CBD, following a three-month intensive real estate boot camp at Bankstown. Chris's focus is on the growth of Ray White rural and livestock. So how does he identify talent? Where does this talent come from? And what does it look like? He also shares interesting insight into life in Wallabies camp and a hot tip for this year's Rugby World Cup. Welcome to the Greats. We all share a common bond, being part of something that started over 116 years ago in the humblest of beginnings. United by a set of family values that have been unchanged since 1902 that separates us from everybody else. Ray would be proud of what we've done. We've become a big company. Best advantage in being big is that we have the capacity to bring so much more back to you. Chris, thanks for joining the Greats podcast from pro rugby player and coach to state manager at Ray White Rural and Livestock. What was behind the switch? Well, thank you, Amanda. It's great to uh, great to be on the on the podcast. The switch came about. Quite naturally, uh, I'd been, you know, involved in professional rugby for 20 years and not getting any younger and uh, wanting to have the opportunity to actually be based in Sydney um, but, but try and get back into the country. Uh, you know, the opportunity to come and join Ray White in the rural business through Stephen Nell, um, it's been fantastic and I've loved every minute of it since I started. Yeah, because because uh, being a professional coach, if you've got a family, it's not the easiest gig, from what I hear. Well, the 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 hardest part is the uncertainty in terms of where am I going to be every eighteen months of my life for the rest of my life. Um, you know, and even when you're doing a good job in coaching, it's still you know some poor games or a uh, you know the decision by a member of the board or they're just around the corner. So. I love coaching. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I think with the, the role that I play now, in terms of the growth of our business and the growth of the people and, and our franchisees within our business, in a lot of ways, it's just another coaching role, you know, and I have that face-to-face and, and personal relationship side that I still had through the coaching. So it's been a really good fit. Mm. How have you found the, well, it sounds like you found the recent transition pretty smoothly. Well, I guess the biggest thing for me was, was you know, it's, it's still a people game, you know. It's all about relationships. And, and ultimately, in my head, the way I sort of uh, digested the, the, the change was I just needed to learn a new set of rules. So the key for me in, in moving across from, you know, from being both a player and, and a coach to... You know, I always had to deal with, you know, I played in England for a long time and I, I played with, you know, um, erratic Frenchmen and, uh, you know, South Africans that could be quite stubborn and I, I played, and, you know, English that probably thought they were better than they were. And so I, I got a really good understanding of trying to get the best out of people, um, trying not to let the, the negative stuff that they do have a big impact on, on, what, on what you do and how you'll get the best out of them. And I guess uh, transferring that across, you know, I've found, um, you know, I'm comfortable in the fact that I know as long as I know the rules, um, 
of this game, which is the real estate game, well then how do I how do I go about being able to help our people? And and that's how I've sort of processed it in my head. Mm-hmm. What's been the uh, the education process in terms of um, you know dotting the i's and crossing the t's and the actual implementation of specific real estate skills? Yeah. So the very first day I came in and met with um, with Stephen, uh, he said. First of all, he said, I don't have a job for you, um, but if I did, this is what I would do. And uh, his plan was for me to be to go straight to uh, Bankstown and be based with Tony Romanos, one of the one of the greats in the Ray White um, family. And Tony runs just such a good um, system and process driven business. So for me, uh, that's exactly what happened. So when I started. I, I was just based with Tony and until Tony said I was I was ready to be unleashed on the rest of the group, um, I just, I, I went with him and Charlie Sayud at, at Bankstown and all their team and they were excellent. They welcomed me, um, you know, like a part of the family and uh, I just, I got to learn and um, at the same time I was doing my real estate licence. So, uh, yeah, I just got to bounce all of my stuff off both Stephen and Tony who have been, you know, in the group for about 30 years. So it was, uh, you know, it was a lot to take in. But again, I just, I just thought if I, if I just know some, some simple rules about how, how the game works, what the sales process looks like, how I can actually, what do our systems look like, how can I help people? Um, yeah, now, now I just get to go and help them. One of the things Nelly also did was he gave me um, he just gave me a little booklet on the history of Ray White and I, I went away and read it just about the family and where it started and, and I came back and said, wow, I, I just want to work for these people. I, I really want to go and work there. I thought the, the, the family owned and operated, um, you know, humble beginnings in the shed at Crow's Nest. I said to Paul White when I first spoke to him, I said, I said I'll have to go to, that, to the shed with you one day. And he said, yeah, no worries, we can take you there. And, um, and he said from day one, he goes, Chris, you don't know anything about our industry, but we're really excited to have you on board. And I don't know, I've just, I've, it's, it's really impressed me that, you know, they look after their people and it, it's, you know, it's long lasting and, and they're determined to continue that. <laughs> as a as state manager at Ray White Rural and Livestock, what are your KPIs or KPIs that you, you can share with everyone? Well, the big thing, the big thing for us is that we want to grow. We want this business to grow, and it's a it's a great business. You know, I, I think we have a great point of difference. We have we have a network that spreads across the country, um, which gives us a competitive advantage. Uh, but the, the the number one thing for me is growth. So, how do we grow uh, our existing franchisees? How do we help them to grow? How do we encourage them to grow? How do we help identify things within their business that are going to allow them to be more profitable? Uh, how do we find good people for them to, to join their businesses or new salespeople or, or, or um, assistants? And how do we uh, actually help them to through the process of onboarding those people? Um, you know, we know that, you know, we want, if we want greater market share, we need to have more people and, um, you know, in a challenging time, that still rings true. If we can continue to, to have that growth outlook, 
um, in our businesses where we're a chance to, to grab market share while you know other people are you know worrying about the, the election or what's around the corner in terms of the, the drought um, mm-hmm. so that's one part then the other part for me is is growth uh, of our business into markets and areas where we don't have a presence um, so going and 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 you know developing relationships meeting people in in those areas that think could be really good fits for Ray White. Um, and then, you know, through, through my network, uh, what I try and do is particularly being based in Sydney, um, trying to connect our rural community and our rural people into both corporate and, you know, family business, you know, in terms of doing transactions on family farms out in the country. Mm. A colleague of mine uh, described you as a heat seeking missile targeting elite agents is this an apt job description and can you say that again an yeah. elite heat a heat seeking missile targeting elite agents <laughs> in terms of recruitment at least well in terms of recruitment we just want to we, we need to we know that there's areas where we should have a presence you know we're we're a business that wants to grow and improve and and uh you know, um, get to where we, we need to go. Mm. And so in terms of heat seeking, I'm not sure, but the, the, particularly with some of the resources available to us, which, yeah, there's no doubt there's an opportunity to identify good people uh, or good agents, but also then it's about still about building relationships and, and ultimately going and meeting people and, and starting relationships. And, and in terms of recruitment space, um, you know, allowing them to see the great benefit that they may have in, in being part of our group. Yeah. What makes a good agent, Chris? Or how so do I don't you... Know who that, I, don't know, I don't know who that heat-seeking missile uh, <laughs> I'll tell you colleague what of yours was. But... <laughs> He's a fan. I'll tell you off air. How, uh, how, what, what makes a good agent? How can you identify good talent? What do you look for? Well, I think first and foremost... Um, it's probably important to note that that every great agent uh, that or could or potential good agent may not even be in the industry right now. Um, I think people that are people that are really good uh, people with people skills um, know how to build relationships, know how to sell. Um, you know, have the ability to to consistently provide information and. Uh, an insight into um, you know the relationship and and or what the product that is that they're trying to sell. Uh, I think you know one of the big things for for me is to encourage people just to consistently communicate with people. Um, you know we're not trying to get the we're not trying to just get your deal t- today. Like I want to I want to develop a relationship with you that's going to last you know a lifetime, and that I want you to. I want to be your advocate, you know, you're, you're, one day you're going to be my advocate saying, you know, this is the guy that I'll go to or the girl or the lady that I'll go to to sell my property. And um, I think I think being able to identify that, obviously there's people that have already got runs on the board, but really got to keep our eyes open to, um, you know, people that are, you know, really suited potentially to being um, in the agency business. 
Mm. And there's, I'm, I'm guessing there's a set of traits, as, including communication skills, that you look for. Is it similar to recruiting and, and monitoring um, as a coach of a high-performance rugby team? Well, there's a lot of similarities because ultimately, you know, unless I'm looking at an area where we don't have a presence, but if I'm trying to help um, get um, people into existing businesses of ours, the reality still is that the leadership that exists within those businesses, so the principals and the people that are running that business, if they are not attractive, if they aren't offering leadership, if they aren't providing the the insight, the the training, the um, you know, the just the the all round uh, leadership, I'm not going to want to go and work for them. So. Part of my role is to encourage and teach our, our principals also that, you know, they have to be attractive. They, they have to invest in leadership. They have to understand that to get people to come and work for you, you know, you've got to provide, you've got to provide them with something. And it's not, just a, it's not just a paycheck. It's, well, how do I help this person to become the best agent that they can be? Mm. It's almost a top so, down. So in that, in that regard, like, it's, it's so similar because... In recruiting footballers, yeah, a yes, they they got to be a good footballer, but but b you, you can't you don't really want to recruit people into your organisation if they're not going to be a good fit, if they're not a good person, if they, you know, if they're just going to be a lot more uh, trouble than they're worth. So there's so much. There's you know, I remember the first um, I went into the the sales meeting on the first Monday, the first day I started with, uh, at at, at uh, Ray White Bankstown. And I walked out of the meeting and I said to Tony and Charlie, I said, like my eyes were wide open, I said, that is exactly the same as what we would have done in the footy club on a Monday. I said, you have just given, you've just done a, basically you've done a review of the game for the weekend, which were the options on Saturday. Why did we, where were we successful? Why, Why, where weren't we successful? Why? And then you've, you've given the team the game plan and what they need to do in terms of their process to get right for Saturday, which is game day again, uh, the next lot of auctions. So but I was blown away. I just went, it's exactly the same. You know, I'm still, you're still coaching a team. Mm. And both are process mm. driven, aren't they, to get that end result? Both are process driven to, to, um, to kick goals at 100%. You need to... You need to do the training. You need to, to, to follow the same process. You need to be diligent and disciplined about what you do. And, uh, you know, in my, in my head, achieving results in, in selling property uh, is exactly the same. What do you value more? Or, and they might be even part, skills or attitude of a person? Well, ultimately, you've got to have the skills, mm. um, but you can teach the skills. It's really hard to teach the attitude. Um, again, one of the things about being the leader is to identify, um, you know, people are still human. They still have the same, That you know, they may have different issues going on in their own lives and um, at home or, uh, you know, we know we're not all, it's not all straightforward for everyone. Um, so you've got to have the ability to be able to um, understand, you know, when your people are or be in touch with your people enough to know that, you know, they might need to lean on you for some things. But I think skills and attitude, um, one of the things 
I've observed in, in making the transition across is that you can learn the uh, you can learn the processes um, you can learn a lot of the skills um, but but the one thing that's going to continue to drive anyone to be successful will be their attitude mm. Yeah, let's uh, let's lighten it up a bit. Uh, let's talk rugby. Yeah. You, you captained Sydney Uni to their first premiership in 29 years. You must have been a hero. <laughs> and not only well, that, I'll, yeah, you played it played in England for a decade. Um, what do you miss about being on the field? And do you still lace up in, in social footy? Oh, geez, I did. The last time I did was 2015. I don't know if I'd be able to now, <laughs> but. Yeah, I was I was just really lucky. I, um, you know, I played rugby league growing up in a little town called Kula, which is uh, about an hour north of Mudgee. But then it wasn't until I'd, I went to boarding school in Bathurst at St Stanislaus College that I actually ever played rugby. Um, and so I was just really fortunate to find the game, really, because it has ultimately led me everywhere to where I am today. And uh, you know, coming out of school, I. I just continued. We'd had a successful team. So I just sort of, I just went on this journey of, oh, this is all right. I'll just see how far this goes. Um, yeah, when I went to join Sydney Uni, I was lucky. They had, a, they just had a really good team. They just needed a number ten. So I, uh, I slotted in there okay, and we lost two grand finals in a row before we won one. So it wasn't all, uh, it wasn't all beer and skittles, but the. <laughs> You know, once we won the last, we we celebrated enough on the first two. To be fair, um, even though we lost, so when we finally won one, we had a fair, we we gave it a fair nudge. Um, and then, yeah, I was, you know, I'd I'd toured with the Waratahs as a nineteen-year-old, um, but then had failed to to pick up a professional contract with them, which is where I wanted to play my footy. So by the time I got to twenty-three, I was getting a bit impatient. I was studying at Sydney University and uh, I was doing a teaching degree actually in, in PE and and then I thought, you know what, a bloke rang me out of the blue and said, would you like to come to England? And I said, yep. And uh, I sort of went on the, the smell of an oily rag and off I went. And yeah, 10 years later. Um, so I played at a, a little club called Exeter, a big club now. They've, they've uh, won the premiership in England now. They were only small back then, um, and then I, I was fortunate enough I signed for Bath, which is I don't know if you've been there, but it's mm. one of the, the most beautiful places on earth. And um, the rugby club's huge there; like uh, it's about eighty thousand people, and everyone knows all the players. And so there was a fair bit, you know, it was, it was fairly uh, fairly full on, but it was an awesome time in our lives. Um, yeah, I ended up. Then going to London and playing for four years. So I had a great experience over there. Lived in Bath for five years. Lived in Hampton, um, just near Hampton Court Palace for four years. And came home with three children. Um, <laughs> yeah, had to get home in 2011 because, you know, our, our, my wife and my parents weren't getting any younger and we wanted to spend some quality time with them. So, yeah, 2011, I'd, I'd had enough of doing the pre-seasons by then. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it was time to go and do I'll something bet. else. No more beep yeah. tests. And, no uh, more beep tests. Yeah. Oh, geez, no more. Yeah, no more getting flogged. Yeah. Yep. No, I hear you. But you moved. Uh, you moved on to the other side of the field, the sideline, and uh, and you picked up a coaching gig, uh, assistant coach of the Tars for three years, and kicking coach at the Wallabies. What did you learn during uh, those times? 
Well, I just, yeah, I just learned that uh, probably the biggest thing that I learned, particularly, so I was a head coach um, running my own race at Sydney Uni, um, which was great. But then going into those assistant roles, um, the, the big thing that I learned was probably just, you know, do your job well. You know, don't, uh, you don't need to get outside your lane. Like, just be really good at what you're really good at your little part, which which hopefully has some success and, and, and adds to the greater, the whole. Um, and I was really fortunate, you know, my, Michael Checker, he'd wanted me to be the kicking coach for the Waratahs when he first took over, but I couldn't do it at that time. And then he came calling again just before the World Cup in 2015, which um, which was obviously, you know, a great, uh, you know, Australia went all the way to the, to the final and sort of 20 minutes before the end, we're a chance of winning. but. Um, interestingly, on uh, I was only meant to be doing the kicking coaching for the Wallabies right up until the start of the World Cup, and so they'd had a they, they had planned a two week uh, tour to Notre Dame in uh, America. So there was a training camp at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and so when I was talking to Czech and negotiating, I said, "Well, it'd be really handy for me to go on that tour to Notre Dame, and uh, and because I wanted to go there first and foremost, <laughs> but." I thought I saw an opportunity to, to get some good work done with the kickers and um in the middle of that we had a we had a game against the United States at Soldier Field in Chicago and and uh Bernard Foley kicked seven out of seven and um yeah, the next day uh Checker talk, turned around and said, I don't know if you've spoken to your wife about this or or your coach the, the head coach back at New South Wales, Daryl Gibson, he said, But we wouldn't mind you coming to the World Cup and, um, so I was meant to be gone for two weeks. I, I got home about nine and a half weeks later. So. Thanks to Foley. But, but yeah, thanks to Bernard. And interestingly, the Wallabies were based in Bath when they first went to England. So, And then when we finally went to London and made it through the finals of the World Cup, the final stages, um, we were based in Teddington. So they're they basically the two two places that I'd lived my whole time in England were where we were based. So it was really... Maybe that's why. He, uh, maybe that's why he took me. Insider information, you know, yeah, second I knew home. What, I knew. I knew what golf courses to get the boys <laughs> yeah, on, and the best pubs. What 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 pubs to go to? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Priorities. Keep the coaches entertained. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I also read and uh, let me know if if I'm off here, but uh, the Tars went from 16th in 2017 to third in 2018, and and you were a part of of both of those seasons, uh, what changed? I mean, that's a huge leap. Yeah, I, I just think we got really, um, we got a lot clearer on exactly how we wanted to play. Uh, that sounds bizarre, but um, yeah, it doesn't take long for a season to, to sort of go awry, which it did in, uh, in 20, 2016. And, um, you know, we, we turned it around. We, we had a, we, you know, we developed, I'd love to say it was just me, it obviously wasn't, but we had a really good um, attacking system that we developed over the over the course of the, the off-season leading into 2018. And, you know, we had we had a couple of freaks, like tri-scorers um, as well. So we, we just, we just played, we played good, uh, good rugby. There was still, you know, had its ups and downs like every season does, but we, uh, yeah, we just, we ended up scoring the most points we've ever scored in a season, the number one point scoring team in the comp last year. So as, <laughs> the, was... atta- as the attack coach, that was a good time to finish. 
yeah, yeah. Finish on a high. Uh, did yeah. you use? Was it the same cattle? Was it the same same group of players? Uh, yeah, predominantly. But we had uh, we just got a little bit better at everything that we did. Yeah, you know, we. Yeah, and the 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 incremental change, like it was only it was just probably getting back to being really good at our basics and and uh, and 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 the the attitude, like it probably goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The the skills probably improved one percent, and the but the attitude around just getting ourselves back in the game and and what we focused on as being the important things to do. Um, and like KPI style, hold ourselves to that was we're really clear on those, and that was the that was the big difference. And and that wasn't complicated; it was pretty straightforward. Yeah, as uh, as Wallabies coach, uh, read an article where you spoke about stealing the kickers' mentality. Um, yeah, is it, it, that comes into play. I'm guessing that kind of links into what you were saying about attitude and and having that really clear focus. Yeah, you know, when you play in front of eighty thousand people, you need to you need to be able to um, just to block the crowd out. And, and I was fortunate that I did that, you know, a few times in my career and played in some big stages. And I don't know, I always just reverted to process. Like it didn't matter you know, how many pairs of eyes were on you, or if you just did what you've done over and over again in training the whole time, um, you tend to get a decent outcome. And, and that and that's what it's all about, you know. But that's why you do it too, you know. You want to you want to stand up in those moments, and that's why you, you play those positions, and you want that responsibility to kick or or throw a line out or whatever it is. Yeah. What do you make of the current state of rugby in Australia, um, Chris? Well, again, it's probably um, probably a contributing factor to why I sought, you know, where the you know where my next career lay. Uh, you know the game's just it's it's it competes for so much here, but but again, what I would say, particularly working in in the Ray White rural livestock business, it's a phenomenal the amount of people, connections, relationships that I've had through rugby that are now, you know, magnified in terms of particularly the the rural um, the rural property landscape, you know, across Australia, whether they be whether they be um, prospective vendors, buyers, corporates, um, families that own and, and operate uh, farms, um, you know, it's it's phenomenal how many of those people, and also our agents that, you know, based in in, in out in rural and regional sort of New South Wales, and it's amazing how many of them have they've been rugby people, mm. so. There's a there's a big supporter base out there. We just got to try and win it back somehow. And ultimately, that the only way we can do that is by winning. Yeah. Are you heading over to Japan for the Rugby World Cup? Well, I haven't had the phone call from Mr. Checker yet. <laughs> but, um, unlike last time, uh, like last time, you know, maybe that will come. <laughs> do you know? I actually read an article uh, this morning, and oh. by the time we released this podcast, that spot may have been filled. But I did read that the uh, Tars assistant coaching gig was up for grabs again. <laughs> Well, there's a different one. Uh, the, uh, Simon Cron, the guy that I worked with last year, he was he did the forwards. I did oh, the backs, okay. The <laughs> so they wouldn't be any good getting me back to do the <laughs> yeah, forwards, right. that's for sure. So no knock on the door <laughs> yet. No, 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 no. I'm I'm safely stay at arm's length from anything the forwards do. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, just the big... just win us the ball. 
Yeah, fair enough. The big question um, of our chat over the last 20 minutes, I'm leaving it till last. Who should I place a fiver on during the World Cup? Well, now that I no longer coach, I'm allowed to, I would be allowed to bet on that. Um, if I was putting a fiver on someone, I would put, and they've never, perform, they've never really performed at the World Cup, but I'd put five bucks on Wales. All right, there you go. Although I will say Australia have always done well in World Cups, but I just don't know if we can win it. You heard it here. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Claim that fiver yeah. back if... Uh... Yeah, keep, keep your money. Yeah. That's probably the answer. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Uh, welcome, a delayed welcome from me to the to the Ray White family, but uh, we've got a superstar on board and I'm so glad uh, so glad you're on deck. So thanks for your time and, uh, and all the best uh, for the rest of the year. Thank you, Amanda. I'm, I'm loving being on board. It's a, it's a great organisation uh, run by really good people. And uh, long may that continue. Terrific. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. Bye-bye.